Creating business isn't about doing hashtag all the things. It's about doing the right thing at the right time to create systems for success. Welcome to the Master the Sales Game podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing specific strategies, tactics, and practical know-how from myself and other successful business owners, helping you grow and scale your business. I'm your host, Susan McVeigh, helping you master the sales game and sell with more ease without the sleaze. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now, let's get started. Okay, so today we're talking all about the most effective techniques that telemarketers use to increase sales. Now, I'm going to be sharing a story, an example from my own life, something that I just had happen fairly recently that I wanted to just share and dissect a little bit so that I can help you to understand that sales does not have to be sleazy. And yes, even though it might feel uncomfortable, even though it might be, um, you know, awkward that we can't throw baby out with the bathwater because there are some tried and true principles that still apply to the world of negotiation, persuasion, influence, and sales. Now, you may have heard me talk about this before on other episodes that we've done in the past that if you are a human being with a desire, right? Like if you have wants and needs that might be different than other people's wants and needs, then I guarantee you that you already have everything within you to be able to master the game of sales. How do I know? Well, there's a whole book that's actually been written about this from Daniel Pink to sell is human. If you haven't gone and read it, I highly recommend it. It is a little bit dry. I will say that. So if you're used to reading more conversational sell books, this is probably not going to be that type of book for you, but it is extremely, extremely good. Okay, it's meaty, it's got some really relevant points, and I think it will help you to understand why you don't have to be afraid of selling or pushy or sleazy or any of those adjectives that might be coming to mind when you think about sales and probably what popped into your mind the minute that you read this title and you thought, tell a marketer, no, thank you. So that sounds anything like what just went through your mind. You're in for a treat because I'm going to break down the good, the bad, the ugly of an interaction that I had with a telemarketer that had called me, yes, called me on my telephone to have a conversation about an opportunity for me to continue to invest in something that I was already connected to. So let's dive into today's episode. Now, I know that a lot of times we, just like the sleazy car salesman, insert whatever is the prototype, right? The stereotype that comes to mind when you think about sales and especially in all of its negative glory. And I think sometimes we are so bombarded with marketing messages and things that we see in mass media, right? On TV, on the radio, like print, billboard, you name it, we got it, right? that we have been exposed to since birth, that of course, it feels like the idea of sales, the concept of sales, the industry of sales just feels really uncomfortable and untoward, like something that you don't want to do. And it feels like a necessary evil because in order to succeed in your business, you've heard me share this multiple times over, and I will continue to share it, 
Your business is not a real business unless it makes sales. You must make money in order to have a viable, thriving business. If you don't, you have a very expensive hobby. And eventually that hobby becomes something that you no longer love. You no longer enjoy because it's draining everything out of you. When there is an imbalance between what you give and what you get, of course, like any relationship, you're going to resent it. So when we think about these stereotypes of the sleazy car salesman or the relentless telemarketer, then you may be thinking, well, how could I learn a technique from somebody that I actually don't respect in the industry of sales, in the industry of doing business in a particular way? So again, I want you to just pause your disbelief and pause your um, like your perception of what I might be sharing with you and really just park it at the door for just a minute, right? Just for this episode, you could pick it back up at the end, but just for this episode, promise me that you'll just suspend that for a little bit so that you can actually hear the good, the bad, and the ugly, because I'm going to dissect it all in this interaction. So I, although I'm an introvert, I don't mind talking to people from time to time. I don't do it a lot, and I very rarely answer my phone. But I don't know what came over me in that moment when I saw the phone number pop up on my cell phone, I decided to answer. And as I answered, immediately, it started. And I I know that you know what I'm talking about, right? The spiel started. Now, part of me, part of me just wanted to hang up the phone and just not even listen to any more words. But I thought, you know what? I'm genuinely curious. Let me suspend my thoughts and my perception of what this interaction might look and feel like. And let me just see this for what it is. So number one, the tone of voice that this gentleman had was so disarming. It was so pleasant. He was so friendly. And I will tell you, if he had been less friendly, I would have hung up the phone. So that is tip number one, okay? Make sure, and I've, I've shared this with clients before. I've actually done this on a Facebook Live where I actually am off the camera and I start speaking without smiling on my face, without any sort of emotion. And then I do it again, say the exact same words, but I'm smiling. And if you've ever watched um, America's Next Top Model with, with Tara, um, or Tyra, Tyra Banks, my goodness, And she calls it smizing, smiling with your eyes, right? That there is an energy that's conveyed when you muster it up inside of you. And it's the same for sales. Sales is an energetic exchange of a conversation and a connection that you're having with somebody. And that's kind of the woo-woo side. But from a logistical and strategic side, people just like people who are friendlier, And so if you've ever walked down the street and you smile at somebody and instantly that person smiles back or is more likely to make eye contact, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So you can you can try this out for yourself. You could actually speak and say a statement and do it without any emotion whatsoever, like like stone cold on your face. Right. Say the exact same thing. And imagine you're speaking to a long lost friend, your favorite person in the world, or just do it with a smile. And you will be surprised at how different your voice sounds. You may not even pick up on it immediately, but if you 
if you just pay attention, you'll understand what I'm talking about. You'll be able to just, the subtle nuance will perk up in your ears. And we've all been in a situation where we've talked to somebody, especially over the phone, where we're thinking, oh God, they just want to, like, they just want to leave. They're probably at the end of their shift and they need to go. It doesn't feel very pleasant. But if we are greeted enthusiastically, not overly, right? Like this is, you don't have to overdo things, but where you are genuinely happy, where you are genuinely enthusiastic about meeting somebody, if you are being able to convey that with some level of positivity and familiarity, absolutely, people are going to feel that and see that and believe that. And they're much more open to continuing a conversation with you than if they didn't. Okay, so his friendliness opened up the door so that I was kind of not paying attention. I know that sounds really odd, but you know, when you're, you first have a conversation with somebody and it's not what you expect, that's exactly what happened to me because I actually had no expectations, but I wasn't sure who was calling. And so the minute that he started this conversation off and it was as if he already knew who I was, I had to take a pause and think, do I actually know him? Where is he calling from? And that gave him enough of a window to start going through his spiel, his script, his conversation to continue moving forward. So when you have that kind of friendliness, familiarity, and you're prepared, you can just keep going. Now, I'm not talking about bulldozing somebody in having a conversation, but sometimes people don't know what they don't know. And if you give them an opportunity to just come along the ride with you, some people will. Now, I don't recommend this for every sales situation, but definitely if you are in a cold prospecting sort of environment, and that may be you right now, you may have to do this for a job. You may be the one that goes and does cold calls and you're putting in some dials or you're putting in some spins or you're making some direct outreach and you're just trying to figure things out. I want you to know that if you are friendly and curious, and if you have natural confidence that what you're doing changes lives, then of course you're going to want to tell people about it. Now, I'm sure you're curious, where the heck was this guy calling from? So he was calling from our local uh, children's hospital. So we are givers and we donate into our children's hospital foundation. And it's the end of the year. And he was making a phone call in order to see if we would be doing any additional campaign giving or increase our monthly giving for next year. And really just sharing a little bit more about what they were all about, right? Because they don't want to lose campaign holders. They don't want to lose donors, but they also want more money. Just like you and your business, you don't want to lose customers. You also want more customers, but you, the existing customers that you want, that you already have, you don't want to lose them. So how often do you reach out to your existing customers? And especially if your type of business doesn't require a lot of direct interaction with people who have purchased from you. I will admit that this is something that I have not really done a very good job of in my business. That sounded really funny. I have not done a very good job of doing this consistently in my business, especially if I, as I've continued to grow. In the earlier stages, I definitely did this. And I will tell you, it goes a long way to building 
community and a, a loyal raving fan base because when you take the time to encourage them and to say hey thank you thank you for doing this thank you for being part of my world my journey and allowing me to be part of yours it allows people to feel really good about the decisions that they've made and it makes the experience of doing business with you that much more positive so when we look at how people are going to be spending their money moving forward if you have created and cultivated a positive experience you are much more likely to get an additional sale from that existing customer without really having to do a ton of extra work okay so immediately as soon as he told me where he was calling from and i thought oh okay i kind of have an idea of what he might be wanting to get out of this call but again i paused my perception and i said let me just go along with the ride because now i'm invested i really want to be i was curious as to how he was going to pitch me how he was going to present this what he was going to do to negotiate this conversation with me because i knew that i wanted to share this with you i knew that i wanted to share it with clients i wasn't sure exactly what format that i wanted to put this on so immediately he went into storytelling he told me about the shared vision because remember i'm an existing customer right now how does this work for a brand new customer well if you don't know what the vision is and if you don't buy into the vision and you don't somehow help support that vision it's going to make it really hard for your ideal clients whether it's somebody who's already paid you or somebody who's about to pay you to feel like you're on board with something that is bigger than just themselves and that one singular moment in time so immediately this gentleman he took me back right he pulled me back and said susan this is where your donation money has gone so he gave me an idea of what the impact is for me to be part of this community to be part of this investment to be enrolled into this vision and he immediately then gave me a specific story he gave me a specific story of a family that had been impacted by my donation dollars wow and i'm going to tell you even though i've read it because i get their monthly newsletter and the story was familiar to me hearing him say it over the phone just hit a little bit differently there was more of an emotional pull because he was connecting the dots between what i do and how i do it in the context of their business and right and our business relationship that we already had established and what they wanted to continue to do now are you connecting some dots between what i'm sharing with you with this example and what happens in your business and possibly in your sales conversations right now that you could better negotiate or better um you know better administer that's not really the best word but you know what i mean so he started off super friendly with all the confidence in the world he went straight into creating a shared vision and giving me a specific story that would allow me to connect the dot between you as a business owner and me as an individual donor or customer and then he went so it wasn't very long this call was literally i think maybe 4 minutes long from start to finish so i'm sharing this with you because i think sometimes we think that these have to be long and drawn out 
They have to be painful processes to go through. And yet when you are prepared, when you know exactly what you want to say and how you want to say it and what you're trying to intend from the the conversation, then it can go very quickly. Now, I'm not saying that your sales conversation should be four minutes. I'm saying that depending on the situation and the circumstance, you do not need to spend a ton of time and talking around and around and around in order to be able to get the outcome and the result that you want. It can be very, very quick. And in this particular situation, he took control and spent most of the time talking. In most of my recommendations, you will not be the one doing the majority of the talking, okay? Especially when you're creating transformation and you're trying to really discern or discover, do you have the problem that I can solve for you, right? That process of discovery and uncovering that is really about a reflection from the the perspective of your potential customer, not from you so much. You already know probably the answer and you're trying to lead and guide people towards discovering that for themselves, which is why you're not going to be doing the majority of the talking. Now, in this particular situation, this is where telemarketers and cold calling and all of those kinds of more pushy or aggressive sales techniques and strategies kind of go awry. So if he had paused and actually invited me into the conversation to say, tell me a little bit more about why you first decided to donate to our cause, right? Like, why did you decide to pick us? Now, he did ask this, but he asked it at the wrong time. And so he didn't connect the dot between what he had just shared and something else that he was trying to discover from me. Because if he had done that, he probably would have had a much stronger argument and some more information to persuade me to making a bigger investment. This is where he went a little bit sideways. This is why sometimes having a script is great, but you can't be so prescriptive and tied to your script that you don't adjust in real time. Okay. And this is where he went a little bit wrong because I could tell he didn't really know what to do with that information other than just confirm it for me. Like, oh, that's great. I'm so glad, blah, blah, blah. It was kind of like information that was just hanging out in in the atmosphere, like just, just hanging out there, but it wasn't connected to anything that we had already had a conversation around. It wasn't really connected to what he was trying to do through this conversation with his intention. If he had connected the dots, it would have made a much more impactful uh, sales conversation and interaction really with a deepening connection between who I am and what I find most important to me and how this organization helps create a win-win for something that is already on my heart. The good thing that he did, he assumed the close. Now, this is much easier when you already know somebody is invested, right? So again, remember, I was an existing client. I am an existing client for this foundation. And so as a result, he knows that he already kind of has money in the bag, but he's trying to secure more funds. So he's trying to essentially do an upsell. So he kind of already did that by assuming the close. Now, you can assume the close. But if you do it too early on, you actually will aggravate your ideal clients, especially if they have never invested with you before. Now, it is important that you allow them to feel what it would be like to work with you and future pay some into that. And an assumptive close helps you to do that. 
But at the end of the day, if you are too aggressive too fast, and that's why the process that I teach inside a sell with more ease, or if you've bought um, some of my uh, smaller bundles, like the, the sales called discovery formula, I walk you through all of this, right? So when you are closing a deal, you actually don't close it at the end. So any sort of assumptive close, especially when you are getting too early on in the conversation to close and you're trying to close, you will, in essence, push people and make them feel like they're being railroaded. You're going to have their back against the wall so that they feel like the choice has been removed from them. Everybody loves to buy stuff. They hate being sold. When we feel sold, it means that you essentially have made me buy something I don't want. But I love buying something that is my idea to buy. You have to help me to learn why it's my idea, right? You have to help me to buy into the vision and the dream of why this is something that I need in this moment in time. So when we assume the close, while it can be a very, very strong sales technique and something that I've used throughout my career to close millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, I'm not saying that you have to throw it out. I'm saying you need to know when to use it and how to use it in the most effective way so that you don't push people too far too fast and essentially lose the sale, lose a customer, maybe lose an existing customer from continuing to, to buy from you simply because you have assumed too much, okay? The next thing, remember, this was a random call that I answered. I was not prepared in the least for the conversation that was about to take place. I continued it because I was curious and because this is my area of expertise. This is something that I've done for decades now. And I'm always, I always love engaging in the sales process so I can see how to improve mine based off of real life experience, right? Because I think it's important that we always put ourselves in the shoes of our customer so that we don't forget what it feels like to be on the receiving end of some of these techniques and strategies that we're putting out on the behalf of our customers. So he was extremely well prepared for, guess what? What happens in almost all conversations that we will have with our ideal client at some point, right? It's not that we have to have them, but we need to be prepared for them because they may show up. More likely in the early stages of your business, they will show up a lot. Objections. Now, objections are really just an opportunity for clarification. They are not something to be scared of. They are not something to turn and run from. And this is something that this telemarketer did brilliantly. He was prepared. I could tell he was prepared. I could tell he had practices. I could tell that he was not phased by what I had said to him. And that he was simply going to keep moving forward to help understand where I was at in the sales process to check for understanding. And if Nothing else, what I want you to take away from this particular episode is you do not have to be scared of no. You do not have to be scared of people putting up their hands to say, wait, I'm not sure about this because X, Y, Z, or because they have come up with an objection. Like, I need more time to think about this. I don't know if I have money to afford this. I'm going to have to check with my partner, my spouse, my best friend, my mother, whoever. The most common objections come because people don't have enough information to feel confident about making their decision. And he handled it like a pro. So he reassured me 
and said, not to worry whatsoever, Susan. How often are we reassuring our customers when they feel uncertain? At that moment of truth, when they're not sure which road to take, right? Like that, that fork in the road and they're going, should I turn right or should I turn left? Should I say yes or should I say no? And their natural inclination is going to veer them towards their comfort zone, which is let's just stay where we are, which is a no. How can you support them? How can you prepare for them? How can you understand what they're going through so that in that moment in time, you can be a partner to them? You can help them feel like they're not all by themselves or make them feel guilty, which is worse, right? Make them feel bad. And I don't know about you, but I have been in situations where the salesperson or the expert or the whoever on the other side of the table, on the other side of the till, makes you feel guilty, almost ashamed because you are questioning whether or not this is something that you want to do. And instead of supporting you, instead of encouraging you, instead of just creating space so that you can have time to think and give you the ability to do so without pressure, that they are making you feel terribly about yourself in this moment in time, in that small little process that is required to get you from here to there, from point A to B. And in effect, that one small move has made you completely turn around and say, well, it may have been a maybe before, but now it is a hard pass, period, stop, no. So be prepared, but don't feel the need to convince somebody because you don't need to do that. Again, if you have identified the key problem and you understand the vision and they have bought into that, then there really is no need to convince somebody. You have to give them the ability to create that opportunity and that decision for themselves and give them the tools from your toolkit as the expert to guide them along. He did this extremely well because I gave him a few different objections just to test him out and he maneuvered them with brilliant expertise. The last thing that he did extremely well, he followed up. So before we ended the call, because I had given him objections, remember, I had put up a fight and I really and truly was telling the truth because I wasn't prepared to have this conversation. It was not anywhere in my mind. And so here I am thinking, okay, I'm in the moment, really just representing myself and having a genuine, honest to goodness conversation. And objections naturally came up for me because I was not prepared to make a decision. And I am normally a very quick decision maker, but there were other things in my mind that I really needed to, do, to address that kind of dovetailed into this. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to need some, some space, some time to really just sit down and think, do I want to do something additional? Is there something else beyond what we've already committed to that makes sense at this point in time? I needed some time to do that. So he did a great job of saying, absolutely no problem. And he gained commitment for a follow-up before he ended the call. Now, I don't want to leave you with a cliffhanger because I'm sure you're thinking, well, what happened? <laughs> this is where it didn't go so well. He never actually followed up. Now, he very well could have because I actually received a phone call about a week ago from, I think it was the chairman, the chairwoman, uh, or the CEO for the foundation. 
It may have been a pre-recorded call. It went straight to my voicemail because I didn't answer the call for this one. So I'm not sure. I don't know if this was the follow-up call. I was expecting a follow-up call to be made from the person who had called me, right? Makes sense, right? So here's where things went badly. Although he gained the follow-up, there was no confirmation or explanation on what that would look like. There was no laying out of expectations for what I could expect to happen with the next conversation, right? So even just doing a quick summary of, okay, Susan, like, here's what I'm going to call, I am going to call you or a colleague is going to call you. So it'll come from this number again. You expect our phone call around this time next week. Here's what we're going to ask of you, A, B, and C. We're really looking forward to, to speaking with you. Is there any reason why you wouldn't be able to have a decision by that time? So if he had laid that out for me, then I would have been expecting a call. I probably would have put it in my calendar, to be frank, because if I'm going to make a commitment and take personal responsibility, I'm going to show up. And if I said that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, even if it means that my decision is no. That's totally fine, but at least to have some sort of conversation. Now, again, I had another sort of contact from this organization about a week ago. I don't know if that was the follow-up call from the conversation I had with this gentleman because he didn't, number one, I didn't get what I determined to be a follow-up. I don't know because what I was expecting is not what happened. And as a result, this particular organization, they may have missed out on an opportunity where so many things went so right. Like if I was to mark this as a teacher, I would give it an 80%, right? I'd give it a, a good B plus, A minus. There's so many things that went super well. And if we could close the gap on some of these other things, I would guess that they would actually make more sales. They would get more donors. They would get increases in people making more commitments. But these little gaps, as small as they are, it swings the door open for missed opportunities, for missed sales. And I just want you to know that my whole purpose in sharing this with you is for you to consider with this real life example, where are you missing the ball? Where are you dropping things that are similar to the experience that I just had as a paying existing customer for a business? Yes, I recognize it's a charity, but a charity is still a business nonetheless. It needs money to operate, just like I shared at the very beginning of this conversation, right? And when we recognize that whether you are a nonprofit or a for-profit, that we all need customers that pay us for a type of good or service, something that delivers value. And that value will depend on our vision and our mission and our values and what we're trying to drive into the market in general. When we close these gaps, we're able to incrementally and exponentially improve our results with not as much effort as is required to gain new customers. So whether you're using and applying some of these techniques that I've just shared with you with brand new clients or with existing clients that you want to continue to keep as existing, as existing clients and potentially increase the amount of business that they're doing with you, I highly recommend you 
go back and re-listen to this a couple of times if you need to, to really just pause and reflect. What do I do in this situation or this circumstance? And I also want you to start thinking critically about the interactions that you have as a consumer. Because again, the flip side of every purchasing decision is that somebody has more likely than not helped you to buy. Now, it could have been automated through a series of steps that happen electronically. It could happen through a mixture of electronic and human intervention, or it could be completely guided through human intervention. Whatever the case may be, remember that on the flip side of you being able to buy something, that there is a sales process that has been deployed, that's being used in order to help you to navigate through that buying decision. And as a result, if you sit down and just dissect it the same way that I just did and laid this out for you, hopefully it will help you to see holes or gaps or opportunities for improvement in your own process. And it will allow you to see how can I adapt something that another industry or another business is doing and take those best practices that I really like, that I really think could work for me and put them inside of my own business. And where can I see that there are gaps, opportunities, or missteps that have just been experienced through an interaction with a, a, a business that I want to buy from that I might be doing myself, that I could get better on? So I hope this was helpful. Uh, I would love to do more episodes like this. If this is something that you're interested in hearing more about, like personal real life breakdowns, please feel free to send me a message over on Instagram at Susan McVeigh. And if you need help with your step-by-step, like what to do in a sales conversation, not because it's so prescriptive and bound, but because you want to identify like, what do I actually do in order to hear more people saying yes, so that you can apply the same principles of what I just used as the guiding post for why I broke this down the way that I broke it down. I encourage you to go and grab your very own copy of my sales call discovery formula, otherwise known as close the deal workshop. So there's a few different iterations out there, depending on where you may have stumbled upon it. We're going to link up the close the deal workshop training below. Okay. So that you can grab your very own copy and understand how this breaks down in the span of just a few hours. You're going to understand enough for you to have articulate, confident, and cohesive sales conversations that aren't pushy, that aren't aggressive, and that get people to say yes, or that you are able to identify who you want to make offers to so that you can work with those dream clients more and more often. If you want additional help and support, come and visit us inside of Sales Mastery Society, and you can go and get salesmasterysociety.com for more details. The link for Close a Deal Workshop will be below in the show notes for you as well. Thanks so much, and we'll talk to you in the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Be sure to let me know what you think by leaving a review so I know how best to serve you. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to share and hit subscribe so you know when the next show is up. See you next time.